Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim R. And today we're going to be interviewing Ducky Q. How are you this morning, Ducky? I'm doing great today. How are you, Jim? I'm doing well. I'm excited to hop into this and talk a little bit about you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Ducky. Okay, well, um, I'm almost 30 years old. Uh, I've been struggling with uh, alcohol and multiple other things for a while now, and it's just gotten to the point where I decided to stop. Um, I reached out on Facebook and ended up on Zoom meetings, and I absolutely love it. Uh, Wouldn't change it for anything, and I'm hoping that I can continue uh, helping people while they help me. Yeah, it's all it's all about the twelve step. And we were just talking earlier how I said the Addicts Anonymous motto is, "By caring for others, I care for myself." Because that's one of the things that the guys back in the nineteen thirties and early nineteen forties figured out with AA was that by helping other addicts, it gets us out of our own heads and it keeps us sober. I always found that to be amazing how they discovered that. Well, I think it's something that has worked since the 1930s. Uh, we might need to have a little tweak in, here and there, but I think we're doing well with it. Yeah, and that's the whole point of Addicts Anonymous. It's not to reinvent the wheel. It's to, you said it perfectly, it's to tweak. Because we've had some of the largest social changes and movements, you know, whether it be for the gay community or any other community like that. So there's things that need to be tweaked because obviously things are different nowadays. But oh yeah, let's Especially hear more about I've, you. Uh, graduated in two thousand nine. Okay, uh, it's been a it's been a lot different. Now we here here we are in two thousand one or uh, twenty twenty one, and uh, man, I I couldn't imagine being in high school now. Oh, it's so different. Joking around, I say I'm going to end up being that. People think I'm like the old racist guy because I just can't keep up with the terms. There's just <laughs> I know that. so many terms. Like to me, it was more black and white back in the day. But yeah, so tell us some, um, how was your childhood growing up? Uh, so like starting off, um, I was actually born on a tarmac in North Carolina because I was supposed to be born in Germany because my dad wanted to meet, wanted me to have uh, triple citizenship. And I'm actually Native American as well. I'm Blackfoot Native American. And um, that didn't end up happening. But uh, shortly after that, my mom and my biological father split, and my mom told me that my biological father was killed in Desert Storm. Uh, turned out, whenever I turned 18, that that was false, and that's something that's always kind of affected me. Uh, but I just, I always kind of knew that my mom and dad didn't have a good relationship because. <clears throat> My mom liked to talk trash about my dad all the time, and I understand that he was an alcoholic and dealing with his own things now, uh, PTSD, things like that. But uh, it it was kind of a Romeo-Juliet story with them and ended up horribly. Well, I always got the brunt of that from my mom because she couldn't take it out on my dad. And uh, I, I knew from a very early age that I wasn't really wanted. I wasn't around. My mom would, at the age of starting at about two, would just dump me at my grandmother's 
from Thursday to Monday, and I, that was basically it. So, uh, recently going through a lot of what I'm what I'm going through, abandonment issues were brought up, and I didn't really understand that I had an issue with that. But whenever I brought it up to my grandmother, she said, "Well, that makes perfect sense because you've been abandoned since you were two. That's a big thing. I remember. Mine, I don't think, was as rough as yours, but my mom and dad divorced when I was eight, and my mom kind of just took off. And so now I, I totally have that fear of abandonment. I, like, it's just, it's just something that I deal with, and I'm sure you know what, exactly what I'm talking about. It's a hard, oh, yeah. it's a hard thing to do because it, it really affects your relationships and stuff moving forward. Like you know, especially when you have a girlfriend that might want to break up. It might you might know deep down inside that it's for the best. But you still want to stay together because you have that fear of abandonment. That was at least what I discovered about myself with my ex-girlfriend. Oh, yeah. With my ex-wife, uh, we were completely wrong for each other. We both had child trauma, uh, childhood trauma. And when we decided to split, it was the best thing for both of us. We're both a lot happier now. Uh, but at the time, neither one of us wanted to give up that stability that we gave each other no matter how bad it was we were always there for each other and i realize now that that was just a completely toxic situation for me but uh when i was uh five years old i was in kindergarten my little brother was born and that really started um i started the abuse towards me through my stepdad, I think that he always wanted to be a dad and he loved that I was already there and he loved me for a long time. And then my little brother came along and I think he clicked in his head that I'm just not his. And I might have been a little bit difficult to deal with. Um, I got kicked out of multiple Christian daycares whenever I was younger for saying things like, I'll be your Huckleberry. And, and uh, what does that mean? I've never heard that term. I've heard of Huckleberry Finn, but what does it mean what you just said? Um, so the actual term is Huckleberry, which means a pole bearer uh, back in the Western times, like in the early 1900s. Uh, but it's a Doc Holliday term uh, from the movie Tombstone, and that was my favorite movie growing up. Yeah, I remember that with Val Kilmer. Kilmer. Yes, Val Kilmer, is, uh, he, he did it the best. Uh, but... I don't know. I've always quoted movies since I was very young. And apparently at a Christian daycare, you're not supposed to say, well, I'm coming and hell's coming with me. Gotcha. It was looked down upon, I guess. Um, looking back, I, I think it was very innocent. And I think a lot of people were just taking things and and going about things the wrong way. I, I needed some discipline, which I ended up getting later on in life. But... That's a whole different story. But, um, yeah, the the day my little brother was born, I could kind of tell that things were going to be different. And they were. My little brother wasn't uh, raised like me. Uh, he didn't get the brunt of the physical abuse. <clears throat> and it started getting really bad about the age of 12. And by the age of 15, I was uh, told by my mom and my stepdad that I needed to find alternate uh, location to live 
And at that time, I was already working. I started working at the age of 13 because my family said that they couldn't help support me. So 15, I'm by myself. Uh, I got an apartment with my cousin that was in the Navy who was in and out. So he paid a lot of the bills, and it was kind of nice. But I had to travel a lot from where I was living in Dallas, about 45 minutes south to where I was going to high school. And I ended up graduating early. I was supposed to graduate in 2010. I graduated in 2009 because I was in the AP classes, and I had enough credits to graduate, and I got in a little bit of trouble. I had a teacher grab me. And I sent a text message about him, and it was not a very nice text message. And they got a hold of it, the school district did, and they decided that they were going to expel me without having a hearing. So I got a lawyer, and we walked in there and said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to reinstate me. You're going to let me graduate. You're going to let me walk. You're going to let me do everything I want to do for senior year, or I'm suing the uh, school for $50 million, and they within three hours had had me reinstated and graduated. They did not want to go to, they did not want to go to court with me on that one. So what was life like for you? When, at what age did your addiction start? Um, I would have to say, so I started drinking I started drinking probably the age of 14, and it was never really anything heavy. It was mostly just yanking beers off my uncles and cousins, and I think we've all done that a little bit. But um, I, I started smoking marijuana at the age of 11 and 12. When you were and smoking, like, and, when you were smoking and drinking so young. Was it something where you were just being a kid experimenting, or do you think you were trying to escape some of the stuff you were going through? At first, it was experimental because I, I, I would drink a little bit, and I thought, oh, that was cool, and we had a good time. Uh, about the age of 15, I realized that I was trying to get over or I was trying to mask everything that was going on in my life. Started drinking whiskey instead of beer. And it went from I'll have one bottle every two weeks to one bottle every week. And I got to, at the age of 16, I was drinking a bottle of whiskey every three days. Which is unheard of, kind of, for a 16-year-old. But I had the means to get it and... uh that's kind of what I did. I was known as the guy, if uh, you pulled up to school in the parking lot, you went to my truck to get fucked up before school. Gotcha. Every, every uh, school's got that guy. I think I might have been that guy, but um, not so much. But I do remember getting people high and stuff. <clears throat> yeah, I actually thought it was funny at some point, uh, looking back now. I I did I don't like what I've done. My main thing in high school was if you were a I'll say a goody two shoes or a preppy person, I wanted to get you as fucked up as possible as quick as possible. Why was that? Um 
Well, in high school, it was more like a party. Um, I was a pretty popular guy. I was the mascot. Uh, I was known for kind of handling business. I, I liked to fight at that point because uh, I knew how to fight. And I could take a punch because I was fighting my stepdad. <clears throat> but I think that I was feeling so much pain, I wanted other people to as well. All right, my next question for you is, what did you feel like the first time you used? What was the first, you first tried alcohol or you first tried marijuana? Alcohol was first. Yeah, that's what I um, thought. Started drinking beer first. And the first time I drank was probably one of the best times of my life. It was fun. Uh, I handled myself very well. I actually ended up, at an IHOP at four o'clock in the morning with a couple of local police officers who knew that I had been drinking. And I just thought that was the norm, really. Uh, my my family was always big drinkers. Uncles and cousins were always big drinkers. And I'd, I kind of felt like, well, maybe, maybe I found my calling. Like this, th I'm just like them. So it was kind of a camaraderie type of thing. Like every time I'd go over to my uncle's house, he'd toss me a beer. And that was starting at the age of 14. And I always wanted to be part of the family. No, I can understand that because it's because of the um, abandonment issues. I can imagine you just wanted to be involved where you can. Yes. And um, actually, so my original last name was not stone and i changed my name whenever i was 18 but i changed my name and i got my last name stone tattooed across my back at 16 because i was kind of reaching out to my family trying to be part of the family even though now i know that that was a futile effort so what where, where did you get the last name stone Stone actually came from uh, my stepdad, and my stepdad got that from his great-grandfather, who was also Native American and the only person in the family that ever accepted me. Uh, my, my stepdad's great-grandfather knew my great-grandfather. They grew up together. <clears throat> and the way that my family actually came about getting... Um, a regular last name, which was Bradley, my biological family, was uh, World War One. Great-great-grandfather wanted to serve his country. And they said, well, you have to have a proper name to join the Army. And he wasn't the type to really care. So he just pointed out a name and they said, okay, that's your name now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Bradley, and I always thought that that was weird. Like, he could have gone with a, a, all kinds of other things, but he said, I was looking to sign the dotted line and get the hell out of there. Which um, every generation since him has served in the military of some sort, including me. I went to the Navy to spite my family because they wanted me to go to the Army. Was there a reason you were looking, were you just trying to spite them because of all the shit you've been through? Uh, I knew that I needed the structure, but also I felt like if I went to the army, 
I was kind of bending to what they wanted and nobody had ever been for me. So I did the exact opposite and went to the Navy. Gotcha. I can kind of relate to that. I guess it's, for me, it's kind of like talking to my dad. Everybody does it and I'm supposed to do it, but I just can't after the shit he put me through. I kind of feel like, like you said, the opposite. I just don't want to do it because I'm kind of being told that I should be. Oh, yeah, I was very rebellious uh, growing up, which I think a, a lot of people that have been through the things that we've been through were. Oh, my girlfriend says I'm still rebellious. Yeah, I I think that's something you'll probably never lose, but you're hopefully as you get older, be able to control it a little more. You know, um, some people see it as uh, a negative point in life, but uh, because uh, our founding fathers of this country were were found rebellious, you know, and uh, rebellion's not always the worst thing. You're you're fighting for yourself sometimes. Uh, and look, look at all the people that once they get successful. Everyone talks about how they were, you know, kind of went against the trend and did, had different ways. Like, a lot of people are seen as rebels when they just have a new way of thinking. Exactly. Look at Mark Zuckerberg. He was kicked out of Harvard twice, I believe, for breaking into their system. And he was just basically building his own code and showing them their weaknesses. And that was rebellious to them. But to him, it just made sense. To me, the way that I'm rebellious is is not a bad thing. Yeah, no. Like I said, and like you said, sometimes it helps move forward. You know, without the founding fathers deciding to rebel against the English, we might still be a colony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what, the, going back a little bit, the first time you used, it was with who? So the first time I drank alcohol, it was just sneaking beers and stuff with uh, my cousins uh, from my uncles. And that was never really a problem. You know, kids are going to be kids. Um, The first time I smoked marijuana was to kind of be part of the family. My family actually illegally grew marijuana in the state of Texas uh, since I could remember so, so it's it just part of the fabric of life. Yes, yes. And uh, while I don't smoke marijuana currently, I do believe in it. I just believe at this point I need to be 100% clear-minded to be able to work on everything that I need to work on. So, I don't believe that marijuana was ever actually a problem. And alcohol actually wasn't a problem until... Uh, started getting into relationships and started realizing that I wasn't being treated the way that I wanted to. And it started triggering me uh, because it reminded me of the way that my mother would treat me. And that's when I start with the anger and the almost psychotic behavior. And that's also why I decided to quit drinking. 
And all the other drugs uh, that I've tried were basically to counteract the alcohol, like uh, cocaine. Uh, we'll say I had a little bit of a problem with cocaine there for a little bit. And that was just because it made me feel good. And everybody wants to feel good. That's that's actually what a lot of addicts are searching for. I know that I was. I just wanted to feel loved and I wanted to feel okay with myself. And even though it's temporary, for a little bit, it does make you feel like you're okay. And that's why I pour my heart into people now. You know, I pour everything I have into making people feel like they have somebody. Because I've been there. I've had nobody. I've been homeless. I've had a half a million dollar home. I've been on both spectrums. What what, what was the um, situation that brought upon homelessness? <clears throat> um, so when me and my ex-wife split, we actually, we had a home. It was a nice home. Uh, we decided that we weren't good together, and instead of me bucking up being a, a, a man, per se, I uh, I let everything fall apart. I ended up uh, sleeping in my car. I tried to reconnect with my father. Uh, we got into a couple huge fights. I ended up beating him up real bad, my biological father. Um and after that, I just, I felt like I wasn't worthy of of having a home or having the possessions anymore. So it was only about three to six months that I decided, you know, I'm just going to kind of go Cadillac on everybody's ass. Uh, be a beatnik, huh? Oh, uh, yeah, man. Uh, talking about taking showers at Love's. Uh, getting gym memberships just to be able to have a place to hang out. Met a lot of really cool people in the in that time that I still have uh, very strong connections with. But uh, yeah, man, uh, hitting the road was something really good for me. I traveled for a little bit uh, for work, and even whenever I was making money, it was like, man, I could spend a hundred dollars on a hotel room tonight just to have a place to lay my head. Or I can go sleep on this bench and have some really good conversations with some people who've been through some really hard shit, and I enjoyed it. And it, it wasn't until I moved in with my girlfriend that uh, I actually felt like I kind of had a home, because even with my ex-wife, I never felt at home. And I think that goes back to my childhood. I was always told. You know, this isn't your home. This is my home. You're going to do what I want. And even when I was paying for all my own stuff, um, when I was told that I was basically a burden on my family, uh, I don't think I've ever really lost that part of me, that that trauma. Um, even Even today... I have problems with if I get in an argument with my girlfriend, I will, I'll take off. I'm the first person to say that I will leave. I will sleep in my truck if I have to. I'm not saying it's the right way, but I have been known to say, well, you know what? If you're not going to treat me right, I've been, I've been on a park bench at four o'clock in the morning sleeping. 
And I'm not afraid to go back to that. Yeah, that's, that's rough. Um, that things that happened to us in our past really make us do things like that, that kind of don't make sense. So what were you like when you were high or drunk? Were you a happy drunk? Were you a miserable drunk? Did you start fights? So I've been on both spectrums of that. I've been the happiest person you've ever seen. I've been the coolest guy you've ever hung out with. And this is with any drug across the board or alcohol. Or I could be your worst enemy and I scare people. Um, I do have that Native American fighter in me i i guess i would say and i've i've helped people to the point of man i'll give you the shirt off my back 100 percent, or man i i will just literally put you and me in the hospital if that's what i felt like it took at that point and honestly i i haven't really been able to understand that about myself i don't i don't really understand how i can be on both sides of the spectrum but i do know that it relies a lot on my emotions and and what I'm going through at that time. If I feel loved, if I feel purpose in life, then I'm going to be good. And if I don't, I will almost destroy everything in my path. I can be the, the sweetest person in the world to my girlfriend. And make her fall in love with me over and over and over again. Or I can completely destroy her and make her feel like this isn't even worth it. Yeah, I know that feeling. I, I totally know that feeling. Because one of my questions I was going to ask is, how how did the addiction affect your relationship? So you kind of just told about your girlfriend. Was there anything that changed as far as the way you handled your family once you started getting high and drinking uh yeah at a certain point the alcohol was really taking over and um it wasn't in a good way i wasn't a happy drunk anymore because i wasn't happy with myself and i wasn't happy with what was going on and my rage was to the point i have kept my girlfriend up hours just screaming at her for things that she didn't even do you know and i can get particularly evil whenever i'm screaming about that stuff and when i'm hurting like that my main goal is to hurt everybody around me and i think a lot of people struggle with that when especially whenever they're dealing with addiction because you're in constant pain, whether you know it or not, you're in constant pain. And you're really just deflecting that pain off of you and you're trying to put it on anybody else. Yeah, now, it's funny that you're saying this stuff because you just click something in me because I some stuff happened a while back, not going to get into it. Um, but... I did hurt some people around me and I think it was because I was hurting so much. And that's a horrible feeling because sometimes you look back and see the things you've said and done and you just regret it, especially when you were high and drunk. 
Oh, yeah. Like, I have flashbacks to things that I've said that I might not even have remembered the next morning. But, like, the other day, I was uh, I was looking at the beer section at a gas station, and all I could think about was the horrible things that I've said and that I've done and that I've just the anger and the hatred that has come out when I'm going through one of these manic times when I'm drunk and um, it, it really made me realize like that's not that's not where I ever want to go back to and uh, I've always wanted to be a father I, I actually had to raise my younger sibling she was actually my cousin but we adopted her and from the day that she was dropped off at my house it was basically thrown on me that I'm going to take care of this child. And I was only 12 years old at that time. And uh, mind you, I, I told you I left the house at 15. And I remember my little sister at the time uh, begged me not to leave. My little brother begged me not to leave. And I said, well, what do y'all want, what do y'all want me to do? Do you want me to stay and end up killing your father? Or do you want me to leave and y'all can have a better life without me? And at the time, neither one of them understood that. But later on in life, my little brother did tell me, he said, the best thing you ever did for me was leaving. Because my little brother has been handed everything. He has two college degrees. They paid for everything. Um, vehicles, all kinds of stuff. He's co-owner of a ranch now here in Texas that my stepdad owns. And all of that is basically because I'm not there. Um, I knew that my family was going to be a lot happier if I wasn't around, so I made myself scarce. For seven years, I didn't talk to my family. It wasn't until after uh, I got my divorce that I tried to reconnect with my family. And for me, a big part of, uh, big part of it was all I wanted was an apology. And I never got that from my mom. Uh, recently, as of in the last year, I ended up in the hospital with two stomach ulcers that were making me profusely throw up blood. And all my mom could do was talk shit to me. So I told her to get the hell out if that's how she was going to be. And to repay me for that, she went outside to my girlfriend and told her that I was a meth head and an alcoholic and I was just like my biological father and that she needed to get away from me as soon as possible because I'm going to start beating her. And I have been violent in the past, but never towards the people that I actually loved. I've never hit a woman in my life. Actually, my ex-wife in our uh, divorce decree said that she was the one that was violent towards me. But... That is actually what caused me to relapse this last time was um, that feeling of hatred coming from my own mom. I couldn't really handle it. So I relapsed and I finally had to realize like I've got to I've got to forgive them because forgiveness isn't for anybody else other than yourself. Yeah, no, completely understood. 
Let me ask so, what were your what were your primary drugs of choice? Um alcohol and cocaine. Snorted cocaine. I've never smoked cocaine. It was always a joke that I wanted to smoke crack cocaine. And the only reason that I don't use cocaine anymore, and it's kind of funny, I um a friend who recently passed, I have his initials tattooed on my wrist now that I did myself. Um, he was an older gentleman, and he decided that he wanted one last hoorah. And his drug of choice was cocaine, too. So I was like, all right, let's go get some. And he wanted to get it from his friend. And I reluctantly obliged, and it ended up not being cocaine. It was actually methamphetamines. That's the only time I've ever done methamphetamines in my life, and it wasn't even on purpose. And the moment I got home, my girlfriend knew something was wrong. And for three days, I mean, I was up for three days, didn't like the feeling at all. And it was at that point that I was like, you know, doing cocaine put me in this situation. It might not have been the drug, but I don't even need to put myself in this situation anymore because you never know what you're going to get. And I know really high-class drug dealers, but I didn't go to my drug dealers at that at that point. So I decided to give that up completely, and I've done very well. It's actually been quite a bit of time since I've done cocaine. Uh, what I've had the most trouble with is alcohol because it's everywhere. And whenever I get upset, which is quite often, it's very easy to just go, well, fuck it. I can drink a beer. But with me, it's not one beer. Um, I've always lived my life to the excess. If I'm doing cocaine, I'm, I'm doing a quarter ounce of cocaine. Me and my best friend have a saying that's called bet you a quarter. It's because one time we did a quarter of cocaine each in 30 hours. That is a lot of cocaine. A lot of cocaine. Um, if you ever watched the movie Blow and uh, the character George Young, who is an actual real character, talks about doing 10 grams in, in 10 minutes or something like that. I, I lived my life that way for a little bit because I was making such good money and I was living on the high of life. And I did very well. Looking back, it's it's not really a bragging point for me. Cause I didn't understand what I was doing, but yeah, I mean, spell your name out with cocaine on a, a table and snort the whole thing. Wow. You're, you're, you're lucky you're alive. Yes, I am. Uh, a doctor, my doctor actually says I probably have one of the strongest hearts he's ever seen. And I actually have a heart, uh, I can't remember what they call it, but it skips a beat sometimes. An arrhythmia, I think? Uh, yeah, an arrhythmia. And I have an arrhythmia, and I've been doing cocaine since I was 18. And he's like, I don't see how you're not dead. You you have the will to live. And that's another thing. Um, I've almost died three different times. I know what it feels like to cross over to the other side and come back. I know what it feels like to have the fight inside of you. What does that feel like exactly? So when you died, technically, 
What was so the feeling? So I wanted to die before I put a gun to my head. And I'm the biggest con- contradiction you'll you'll ever see because while I might have wanted wanted to kill myself in those moments, I don't really want to die. I can really, um, I could totally relate to that. The only way I know that, the only reason I know that, is because um, whenever I whenever I get put in a situation where I'm gonna die. Me and my body fight so hard to not die. So what is, I think this ties into it. Do you have any mental health issues? Is there anything that contributes to all this abuse of the drugs and alcohol? Besides just, you know, situations you've been put in. Some people are just naturally predisposed to this shit because they have mental health issues? Um, that I'm not 100% sure of. I'm not sure if I have. I don't know. I've been told I'm probably bipolar, uh, maybe some kind of a disassociative something. Do you find that to be difficult to deal with? Yes. What kind of things do you do to battle that that demon so to speak and keep yourself sober is there any tips and tricks you have for the listeners uh meditation there's something called bilateral stimulation you can look it up on youtube it's probably the one thing that's been helping me the most um and basically what that does is it triggers both your left and right side of your brain so that your brain can file what you're going through and whenever i say that it gets it makes it easier to deal with. Yeah, so that's um that's interesting. I was just checking out. Because I, I, I'm also into meditation and I've never heard of that thing, but I mean I know that's huge and it's actually um, if I'm not mistaken, step 10 or 11, and it doesn't matter, but one of them said, you know, sought through prayer and meditation. And I know in the big book that they mentioned meditation 10 times. And I think that's a lot, that's something, I feel like a lot of people read the big book or in a lot of the NA literature, and they only take away the whole prayer. They don't ever take away the meditation part. I think that's something people need to reassess and really look at. Well, see, Jim, and um, we've even, I wouldn't even call them arguments, but even within our Zoom group, we've had conversations, and they've gotten a little bit heated. And my problem with AA or any kind of rehab being too religious is because you're not doing this for anybody else other than yourself. And I feel like... Even with religion, a lot of people focus on the religious point of it, of I'm doing this for God. And I get that a lot of people have to give up their – give give themselves up to something completely because they can't – they can't deal with it themselves. And that's exactly what AA and – uh, even even R12 Steps says. You know, you, you've come to know that you can't do this. But – relying on a religion to me to keep you sober 
is completely opposite of what you're trying to do. You need to rely on yourself and you need to rely on the people that are around you. And I don't know if you remember the conversation, but that's, that's all I've been, been saying is that, you know, um, Let's let's not get too religious with it because what we're trying to show people is that you're worth it. And a lot of religions do look down on the person. Like you you if you don't live this way, you're going to hell. And I'm here to tell you that even if I was even if I was to come out and say I'm a hundred percent Christian, that's not the way that I believe the Christian God believes. You know? If if all you have to do is ask forgiveness and redemption then, then why, you know? Yeah. I I want, I want people to understand that they can, the only way that they're going to be, the only way that they're going to stick with this is themselves. You can't rely on anything or anything else. You can, you need your support groups, just like what I have now uh, with the zoom groups. And I love those guys, but also with that, if if you don't start believing in yourself just as much as you believe in anything else, then it's not going to work. Because in the in the middle of the night, it's two o'clock in the middle of the night, and you can get whatever you want. If you don't believe in yourself, you're going to. And I, I like that you say that because that's one of the things that went through my mind when I was writing the steps: is how do I appeal to religious and non-religious people? <clears throat> and, well, and just just like with the conversation that we had on the Zoom, it's like uh, sometimes you're not going to be able to get both sides of the fence. And it's not really the people who aren't religious that you're not going to get. It's really the religious people that I feel like you're going to have the biggest problem with because – Without their faith, without that there, they feel like they can't do it. They feel like, I don't know, maybe they're not worthy of it. Well, that's what our steps are about. Our steps are about finding an inner strength and courage that's inside of you. And a lot of us don't even know it's there. But if you look at it that way, you know, I was mentioning before I wanted to appeal to religious and non-religious people. If you look at our steps, you can still say to yourself, well, I believe in God, but what did God give everyone? He gave us all free will. He gave us intelligence. So you use that free will and all your God-given gifts and apply it to our steps. So it could still be religious, or for people that don't like that, it's not religious anymore. It doesn't mention the word God, doesn't mention the word higher power, and that was for a reason. And it's not because I'm not religious I'm a very spiritual person, I think I consider myself. But it's because I wanted to appeal to as many people as possible. And obviously it's something I believe, otherwise I wouldn't have written it. Okay, well, and the only reason I feel so strongly about that is because my entire life I've been told that I need to find God and I need to find Jesus. And I've uh, come to my own terms with my own higher power. But... Uh, growing up in Texas in the Bible Belt and seeing the seeing what I've seen with the Southern Baptist Church 
um, it really turns me off of anything that's super religious because I've seen the hypocrisy in it. And I've seen the church go against itself uh, at a lot of points. And also, um, it might not be the correct way of thinking about things, but do you have to, if you have to ram it down my throat and force me to believe, then I have a problem with it. Your rebellious side comes out. Not only that, but it's like, um, so it's just like in an argument. If me and you were having an argument and I have to raise my voice and scream at you and belittle you and berate you to get you to see my side, my side's probably mute. And that's what I've seen on my side. It's It's been forced down my throat of, if you don't do this, well, then we're just going to beat the hell out of you about it. And that's not the way that I believe things should be. I believe that a lot of Christians want to be different, but from what I've seen, it's uh, they go against everything that Jesus said. Jesus said, love your neighbor. Not love your neighbor unless they're gay. There you go. Not love your neighbor unless they have a problem with drinking a little bit too alcohol. No, he said, love your neighbor as you would want to be loved. And that's that's my problem with it. And also the judgment. Um, who is without sin tossed the first stone? Except from what I see is, um, you know, your, your preacher can get drunk until Saturday night every day until Saturday night, but on Sunday morning, he's going to tell you, well, you know, the good Lord says, yeah, that, that stuff doesn't fly with me. And I believe if you're going to stand by your convictions, you better stand by them a hundred percent or I'm going to call you out on it. And people don't like getting called out on their shit. That's why, that's why being an addict is so hard because your loved ones want you to do better and want you to understand, but they're calling you out on your shit. They're calling you out like, hey, dude, you know you fucking stole $1,000 from me and I want that money back? Well, that makes you feel like shit. I don't believe that religion should ever make you feel like shit. It should make you feel empowered and it should be a release for you. And that's not what I've seen in the community. I'm not saying every every religion's like that, but that's that's what I'm that's what I've seen personally. So when people tell me like Oh, well, you need to pray. The first thing I think because I get enraged is fuck that. <laughs> you know, and I didn't mean to start going off on religion or anything. It's just I believe people need to believe in themselves a little bit more before they start believing in anything else. And if you do want to believe in anything else, I don't care what you believe in. I have Hindu friends, I have Buddhist friends, I have Native American friends that are still on the reservation. I've got Christian friends, I've got everything. I've got atheist friends. Believe in what you want to believe in, but until you believe in yourself, then I don't think any of it really matters because you're not you're not giving it a full go. And that's what I want to show everybody. Like I'm trying to help somebody right now get their GED and uh, this 
this person told me I'm too stupid. I can't even write an essay. And I was like, but you were conditioned to believe that. You were conditioned to believe that you're stupid, but you're not. What you need is coaching. Let me coach you. Essay isn't hard to write. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And what you want to do with it is what you want to do with it. You might not have the biggest words to throw in there, but that's why you need coaching. Absolutely. And it sounds like... You know, like, you don't need the biggest words or the smartest vocabulary or the most well-put-together sentences to be smart. The smartest things I've ever heard were from five-year-olds. Yeah, you can learn from anybody. That's definitely, that is definitely something. But it's good that you think about this type of stuff and that you know in the end what is best for you because everyone's recovery is different. And that was going to be my next question to you. What's life like nowadays now that you're in recovery? You know, is there anything specific you do besides meditation to help you in your journey? Um, so managing my anger and my inner thoughts. Uh, so a lot of the reason why uh, I relapse is because I get so caught up in my head that the only way that I can really calm myself down is by going to get drunk or get hot. I'm, I might be a little ADHD or something. I don't know. But when I do cocaine, I've never been, I've never had clearer thoughts. And while it's not the best thing, I've built buildings completely, like drawn out plans for buildings, just railing cocaine. And I don't think I would have been able to do that style of work without it. Because my brain's constantly going a million miles an hour and cocaine sits me down and says, you're thinking about this one thing. Think about it. And then I think about that one thing, what I'm doing at that point. I'm not saying it's correct. But I can see how it's helped me and it's hindered me. Yeah, no. Whatever works for you. Yeah, and that's, you know, uh, there's been major arguments on Facebook. I don't know I don't know which Facebook group I actually found you on, but I actually wasn't a part of the Addicts Anonymous until a couple of days ago. I had been on a couple of Zoom meetings, actually, before I realized that I wasn't a part of that. And um, there's people on there who, uh, I think it's a sober group that I'm talking to, um, not everybody can quit alcohol or drugs right off the bat. You can't go cold turkey. And it's called harm reduction. If you go from drinking a 30-pack to drinking 15 beers a day, I'm proud of you. I'm never going to look down on you. And if that's all you can get to, that's all you can get to right now. But if you're working on it to better yourself, I can't. I can't possibly say, well, you're not doing right. And I, I had a conversation the other day with a person that is very close to our group. What's relapse? What What is a relapse? If you're an alcoholic and you have one beer in a stressful time, is that a relapse? Or is a relapse where you continue your destructive tendencies? And I've been told either way, well, one beer, you fucked up and you better just say that you're not sober anymore. 
or I took a couple drinks of a of a beer and I threw it away and I was upset with myself about it. Is that a relapse or did you learn more about yourself in that that time period or, or with that? And and relapse is going to be part of your recovery. I don't know one addict that hasn't relapsed. I've never known anybody that said I'm done with this shit and never returned to it at least once. Well, there, there's plenty of people who have, but like you said, everyone's recovery is different. If you have to go from 30 beers to 15, that means you're moving in the right direction. I mean, because then eventually, hopefully you go from 15 to 10 or 5, and then hopefully you go to nothing. You know, some people, they need to be abstinent. There's there's just no question about it. They can't do anything whatsoever. And I know of an author I read a book by where this guy was a, a big-time heroin addict. But now he can have a glass of wine with his wife every now and then. If it's if it's New Year's Eve, he can have a glass of champagne. It never, alcohol is just never his thing. So I think there are some people who can do that, but there's plenty who can't. And I know there are some people who just quit, and you know they were lucky enough to be one of the few that just never drank or used any drugs again or did whatever their compulsion of you know could be gambling or something. So there's a few people like it, but. Like you said, there's not many. Like there's there's so many things that you can be addicted to. Exactly, that's one of the things. And I don't want to I don't want to focus on one because you can learn from all of them. And I think that people get set in these mindsets of, well, this is this is my thing, so I have to be concentrated on this. Well, why wouldn't I listen to somebody who has the same compulsions for something else? We might have the exact same triggers, except maybe somebody with a gambling problem goes out and blows $1,000, and that makes them feel better. But to me, I just go drink a 12-pack, you know? But our triggers the exact same. We're going through the exact same things in lives. We could help each other. I feel like people will close themselves off too much. And that's another problem with religion is I feel like um, a lot of religions close you off to everything else when you could benefit from it. You know, for the longest time, meditation was considered witchcraft yeah, in I mean, America. It's, it's definitely important to be open to all options, religious or non-religious. Yes. Yes. And then I'm open to all of it. And you, talking to me, you would think that I'm against religion, but I actually do practice. I have this conversation all the time with my grandmother. Yeah, no, I, is, I know plenty of people like you. It is one of my things that, uh, you know, I just kind of have to open people's eyes. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm glad to hear you're doing so well right now. So what are you, what are you looking for in the future? What are your future goals? What is, you know, your day-by-day look like now? What are you, like I said, what are you striving for? For me, man, I just want to enjoy life. I want to sit back. I've spent most of my life making money and spending it on things that matter. Zero in my life. You know, who's got the newest truck? Who's got the biggest truck? You know, at at a time I had five different vehicles. And I thought I was living on top of the world. And it came crashing down on top of me. Like... Was I really happy? I want to be truly happy. That's my thing. Is I want to come home 
and be loved by my loved ones and be stable and not have to drown myself or mask anything. That's why I'm so uh, open about my emotions now. You know, real men cry, real women cry. We all cry. We should cry together. I think it's a release. Yeah, definitely being in touch with your emotions and what's going on inside your your heart and mind. You know, it's important to be in touch with that. But for me, dealing with it correctly would be a huge step. Um, letting my anger out in a positive way. I would like to get back into art, uh, maybe music. I've always loved music. Uh, I, I write poetry. I would like to get back to writing poetry. That's good. So uh, those are some things that I think a lot of people don't have when they first start getting sober. It's something to do with your time. Because a lot of people, I know for me, I remember those few days before I was going to rehab, I was saying to myself, what am I going to do without booze and drugs? Like, I, I just don't know that life anymore. It's been so long since I didn't have that life. Um, I was just so scared what I'm going to do to fill the time. But like you said, I got into some artistic stuff. Um, obviously, this group keeps me going and it keeps me plenty busy. So that's, a, that's a definitely an important thing is to have goals and motivation to get back into things like art and poetry and things like that. Well, and I think that you would agree that when you were in your addiction, you were probably a very selfish person. And I know that I was, I only cared about myself. I want to care about other people. And that's another thing. I want to be a father because even being an uncle, you can tell that I care about that kid so much. And I just want to give my all to somebody, to something. I've always been searching for that. And that's why I do pour myself into this group. Cause that's what I have right now. Not to say that it's going to change if my girlfriend was to get pregnant right now, I'm going to run with it 100% because I want my kid to know that even though that they've, they haven't experienced this, that they can learn from these people. No, that's, that's another important thing. You can learn from anybody. But yeah, we're coming up on our time here. I just really want to thank you so much. That was a, a great interview. You really opened up to us, and I appreciate that. I hope I haven't, uh, you know, rambled on too much or hit one subject too much, but no, I feel like you, I could talk forever. You did great. And again, I appreciate it. So that's all we got for today. So if you liked what you heard today, folks, please go to iTunes and give us a rating. Also, you can check out our Facebook group, Addicts Anonymous. And uh, in there, check out the events tab and you'll see that we have Zoom meetings during the day. We have some at night. Um, so we've always got a place to come and hang out. So that's all we got for today. And until next time.